Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us. Today we're going to be talking about taking a pause or taking a time out. In the last episode with the pursuer distancer relationship, we talked about this just briefly, about in the midst of conflict or difficult conversations, being able to take this pause so that you have a better, healthier, and more efficient conversation. So let's start with the story when I used this with a client and it worked exceedingly well. So I was working with this boy, he was about 10 years old, and he had gotten grounded and had consequences for some actions that he had taken. And I was trying to process through with him what had happened and trying to help him gain a better level of understanding as to how he could avoid those types of consequences in the future. So throughout this session, as we were talking about it, he was getting agitated when we talk about his consequences and he would kind of flare and he'd get really upset. And then I would just say, hey, let's let's just stop for a little bit. Let's just kind of wait for a moment. And we'd wait for a couple of minutes and then he would seem calmer and then I would pick back up the conversation. and then. We would continue on, we'd make a little bit of progress, and then he'd get upset again. And then I'd say, hey, let's just take a little breather here, let's take a moment. And we'd wait a little bit longer, and then I could see in his face it started to calm down. I could see his body reactions, they were less aggressive. And then we'd pick up the conversation again. And throughout the course of that 60-minute session, we probably stopped and did the pause technique five or six different times to allow him to manage his emotions And so I wouldn't continue to add to the fire by just continuing to power through the conversation. I think a lot of people really struggle with this when they're in the midst of a conversation. They kind of feel like, well, now we've already kind of opened up this topic, so we may as well just rip off the Band-Aid and just kind of rush through it. But realistically, when somebody gets upset, the probability of being able to have that conversation and have it well to the end of the conversation or to be able to reclaim that conversation from something that's difficult into something that's healthy without doing some type of intervention is very unlikely. So when you're having these discussions, you always want to think, I want to make sure that we're calm or as relatively calm as we can be when we have them so that we're actually getting to the end and to the point of these discussions. So there's several reasons why having a conversation when we're upset is just not helpful. And one of them is that The part of our brain that thinks about behaviors and consequences and that helps us to solve problems is in what's called our prefrontal cortex. And if you take your finger and you just put it on your forehead, right behind your finger is your prefrontal cortex. Now, when you get upset, the energy or the electrical activity that causes your brain to operate starts to drain from your prefrontal cortex and then starts to focus in your amygdala. Now, if you take your finger and you kind of put it right in front of your ear, like on your jaw, basically kind of right back in there behind that is around where your amygdala is. And this part of your brain, it's tasked with keeping you safe. Now, the problem with the amygdala is it doesn't really differentiate between physical danger and emotional danger. It kind of treats them both the same way, and it will flood you with adrenaline, and it will cause you to go into the fight, flight, or freeze state. And so when you're having a discussion with somebody and things start to get heated, You're no longer engaging with somebody who's going to be able to do a very good job at being rational. It comes down to, I'm either going to fight to win this argument, or I'm going to kind of run away and recede into myself. And so this goes back to our last podcast where we talked about the distance or pursuer relationship. And 
these roles really do come down to baser survival mechanisms. Now, when we're in our amygdala, that part of our brain just wants us to act because it's trying to keep us safe. And so in this part of our brain, we can often say or do hurtful things to our partner that when we are calm, we would never allow ourselves to do those things. So when we're getting upset with each other, a major factor we have to consider is that, okay, this is now not likely to go well, and I'm likely to hurt my partner or my partner's likely to hurt me through this conversation. So it's much better to take a pause right now and then circle back around in a little bit to try to rehab this discussion. Another important reason why you don't want to have discussions while people are emotional and in their amygdala is your memory is not as good. So your amygdala doesn't really hold memories very well. So if you're trying to get a point across to your partner when they're upset, you're talking to the wrong part of the brain, and as a result, they're not likely to remember what you say. And I'm sure some of you can think of times where you're like, I know I told them this like 15 times, but I always like to ask my patients, how many times did you tell them that when you weren't in an argument? And a lot of times their faces go blank because they're like, I don't know that I've ever told them not in an argument. So not only are you more likely to have unhealthy dialogue when you're in your amygdala, but the other thing is that your partner is also not as likely to remember the important things you're trying to tell them. And so that's where the pause technique really comes in, where we want to move the electrical activity that causes your brain to function from your amygdala back up to your prefrontal cortex so that we can have these discussions in a more helpful way and in a more calm and reasonable way. So just for your visualization, go ahead and make a fist with your hands and then go ahead and tuck away that thumb underneath the other fingers. So when you're looking at your fist, the four fingers on top that's folded over, that represents your prefrontal cortex. And then if you lifted your fingers, that thumb would be your amygdala. So go ahead and close your fists again. You're having a conversation. One person is on one side, the other person is on the other side. And you're both talking to each other. You're having a rational conversation, both in your prefrontal cortex. You're both, in a sense, thinking straight. The conversation is going well. And then maybe something starts to turn. And one person flips their lid. So go ahead and flip your forefingers up. So that person is now acting in their amygdala. And that's your survival part of your brain. We're reacting a little more on emotions. And then because that person flipped their lid, then this other person flips their lid, and now you're both in your amygdala. And so what Tim's saying is you need to take a moment to be able to get back into your prefrontal cortex so you can have a conversation that's beneficial and fruitful. And this is the same when we're working with children. When they flip their lid and people are trying to teach them a lesson and they're in their amygdala, they're not going to remember or they're not going to be rational enough to really take in that lesson. So what we need to do is teach them to calm themselves down, to come back to that prefrontal cortex, and then begin to process with them. And this is where the pause comes in. A pause is essentially a timeout, and we're taking this time not as a punishment. So as you go into this, this isn't a way to shut your partner down and say, we're not talking about this anymore. It truly is just a pause. We're taking a moment to regroup, calm down, think through things, and then we're coming back together. So it's not a punishment for you or if you use it with your child, it's not at all a punishment for them. It's an opportunity for them to calm down and come back into that prefrontal cortex. So in order to do pause correctly, what you want to do is you want to follow a couple of ground rules. One is when you're asking for a pause, there's a couple different ways you can say it. You don't have to say it exactly this way, but you want to say something along these lines. 
like, I feel like we're getting a little bit heated. Can we take a break or can we take a time out? And then what you want to do afterwards is whoever kind of called the pause, you want them to pull out a timer and you want them to set it for five to 10 minutes. You can kind of experiment with that, but you definitely don't want to do very much longer than that. And the reason for that is because of what we talked about in the last podcast with distancer-pursuer relationships. The distancer is going to naturally want more time to elapse before coming back to that. Ideally, for the distancer, they would want an infinite amount of time to elapse because they don't want to have this discussion. But for the pursuer, they're going to want the time to be much less. As a matter of fact, the pursuer is going to be more likely to not like engaging the pause technique because they want to just keep the conversation going. So it's trying to make a balance between not talking at all and not stopping the conversation. And that balance is right about five to 10 minutes. It allows the pursuer to know, okay, there's only a short amount of time. I have to wait before I get to have this conversation. But then it also allows the distancer to regroup and really kind of help themselves think through what do they want to say? What are they feeling? And then come up with ways and plans that they can then express that to their partner. Now, the next part of this is once our timer is up and we come back together and we start talking, you want to make sure that the person who is interrupted by the pause is the person who now has the floor again to speak. Now we have some of these rules for very specific reasons. An example why we have this rule where it's whoever was interrupted gets the floor again is a lot of times people have used this tool in a way to try to take control of the conversation. They weren't speaking, then they call a pause, and then when they come back, now all of a sudden they want to start the conversation and they want to be the one speaking at that point. And so this rule is to avoid any type of unhealthy use of this technique. And now after we've had that time apart, that person gets the floor again, and then you start discussing it. Now at that point, you're going to be much calmer. You may not be completely calm because we have this kind of, because we have this unresolved issue that we have to talk through, but you're going to be in a much calmer state and you're going to be able to talk through these situations and difficulties in a much easier and more efficient way. So just to reiterate what Tim said, it's so important to have a number set. And I would talk about this beforehand and have a number for your timeouts or your pauses set so that when it's time, you both already know, okay, we agreed on 10 minutes. That way, when it's time to use the pause, you both know and have agreed upon a time and you can walk away and it can be beneficial. This really challenges the distancer to come back to this conversation but it also challenges the pursuer to take a step back and give the distancer the space that they need. So when you're about to take the pause, you want to make sure that you communicate that to the other person. Because if someone says, I can't do this anymore, and they just walk out, that person doesn't know if they mean I can't do this conversation anymore and we're not going to have this conversation again, or I can't do this conversation right now, or I can't do this in our relationship and I'm leaving. So you need to make sure that you communicate hey, I'm a little frustrated, we need to take a pause, or I think this is a really good time to take a pause. And then for you guys to agree on that and go ahead and take the time that you need and then come back together. And when you come back together, this is such a great opportunity to restart things. It's easy to come back and just pick up right where you left off, bickering and being bitter and resentful and angry and having that same tone. But to come back together and really know, okay, this is an opportunity to reset this. And so that might even look like apologizing. You know, hey, I'm so sorry that I got a little heated earlier. Or I'm so sorry I talked to you that way. Or I said these things to you. I really do want to have this conversation. And I want to honor you in my words. And so let's try and do this again. And one thing you really want to watch is your tone. Because if you don't already know, your tone speaks volumes. 
it could really change the meaning of the conversation and it can affect the way that your partner receives it, whether they begin to be open to it because of your tone or if they immediately shut down because of it. Or even body language. So tone is a big thing and so is body language. So if you come back together and you start talking and you roll your eyes at your partner or you're coming into the conversation with folded arms, that input into the conversation is going to escalate your partner and make them more likely to go to their amygdala more quickly. And it also escalates you and changes your response. So if you cross your arms right now, a lot of times you can already feel kind of a more guarded or maybe upset. Maybe for some people it is relaxed. That's just how they relax. But for the most part in the conversation, it also affects you, not only how you're coming across to the other person, but how it makes you feel and how you're responding to things based on your own body language. So when you use a pause, you want to make sure that you are using this early. So don't wait till things are escalated. You want to use this at the point where you begin to feel like things might not go the right way. Because you know your relationship and you know the cycle of what happens. Usually we're in these cycles that happen again and again. And you can tell when you're getting to the point of no return. To be able to use this technique, there is a window of tolerance that you have. And I always like to tell my patients, there's three levels to losing it. There's totally calm, on your way to losing it, and losing it. Now, when you're totally calm to on your way to losing it, generally there's a good amount of leeway. However, when you're at on your way to losing it, there is a very brief window between on your way to losing it and losing it. It's sometimes fractions of a second. So as soon as you feel like you're going to on your way to losing it, that's really the time where you want to make sure you use the techniques. And the reason for that is because once you're at that point of losing it, you're operating out of your amygdala. And this information about the pause or anything else about how to engage in a healthy way, all of that stuff is stored up in your prefrontal cortex. And again, that prefrontal cortex thinks about behaviors and consequences, and your amygdala doesn't think about behaviors and consequences. Your amygdala just calls you to act. Do something now to protect yourself. You want to make sure you do these things early on in the conflict, because if you get too far gone, you're then not going to use it. And then the major downside after that is you started talking about one problem, but then the way that you guys engaged each other then created additional problems. So not only did we now not solve the original thing we were talking about, but we added subsequent additional problems now that we have to work on. And these things end up kind of snowballing on people where instead of solving problems, they're just creating more and more problems that then they're not solving because they're not engaging in a healthy way in these difficult discussions. So we hope that was helpful to you as you practice this week taking pauses with your spouse or with your children so that you could have healthier conversations. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.